Let's talk first, if we may, about your experience on the transition team. What exactly was your role? I was uh, co-leading the agency review of the Federal Communications Commission. So there were teams on the transition assigned to every part of the federal government. And our responsibility was to go into the agency, meet with the senior staff, meet with outside groups, industry, public interest groups, other interested parties, and really roll up our sleeves and assess what was happening at the agency and try to lay the groundwork for the new administration coming in to put into place both their people and uh, a new policy agenda. Mm -hmm. Now, what was your takeaway about the, uh, uh, regarding the agency? Well, the FCC uh, under uh, Kevin Martin, who was the chairman at the end of the Bush administration, was, was really devastated. It was, it was a place that had been heavily politicized. The staff were demoralized. Uh, it, it was um, failing in a lot of ways to uh, achieve the kind of benefits that it should be achieving. Um, and so we found a lot of dissatisfaction, both inside and outside the government, with just the kinds of processes the agency was using. People would, would say uh, they're just not being fair, they're not being consistent, they're not being transparent. Uh, we really don't feel like they, they have the interest of the American people at heart. And mm -hmm. so um, we were really trying to, to ascertain how to revitalize this agency, how to, how to take this agency and make it once again one that, that could really deliver benefits to the American people. That sounds like quite a rebuilding job. Uh, we have one um, uh, nomination for the chairman and some other positions that are still open on the commission itself. Um, is, how urgent is it that we get those positions filled quickly? Oh, I think it's, it's very urgent. It's, it's, it's urgent, of course, more generally that uh, the president's nominees get confirmed and that, and that the additional uh, op openings are filled. Um, the FCC is pretty important. It, it oversees a huge swath of the economy, the whole telecommunications and media sector, as well as the whole technology sector, which is really, I think, pretty critical to an economic recovery. Mm -hmm. Indeed. The, uh, it would seem that as, as to the degree that um, the work of the FCC can be tied to the economic recovery will determine the speed with which it gets the attention it needs. Um, what, how important is the role of the of the of the of telecommunications and technology generally in the recovery do you think it's extremely important uh, the FCC really needs to think about itself as an economic stimulus agency as an agency that's about creating jobs and fostering investment and you look at the telecommunications and media and technology sectors uh, there's a tremendous opportunity for growth mm -hmm. uh, these are not industries that are going down these are industries that in many ways are growing and they're the foundation for other kinds of new jobs. So revitalizing healthcare, a central part of that is computerizing medical records and putting healthcare online. That requires broadband out to every part of the country. Green energy, again, requires smart grids uh, instrumenting the electrical grid on broadband networks. Education requires the ability to deliver information throughout the country over networks to people. So the areas that the FCC is responsible for can really be central to the recovery. Mm -hmm. All right, and are you confident that the Obama administration recognizes that? Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. They recognize that. Uh, Julius Janikowski, who's been nominated to be the head of the FCC, has tremendous experience as, as a business leader and an investor, as well as in government. Uh, and, I, and I know he, he recognizes that, absolutely. Okay. Now, you're going to be addressing some of the uh, challenges for uh, communications regulation in the coming years at a seminar tomorrow. And I wonder, um, uh, you'd, you're saying in this seminar that the um, communications networks are the foundation on which the future of business, business of, of news, business interaction, entertainment, healthcare, education, energy conservation, and a lot of other economic fact sectors will be built. 
and that the network infrastructure is the dividing line between the old physical economy of scarcity and the new information economy of abundance. Tell us what you mean by these, these two terms, the physical economy of scarcity and the information economy of abundance. Well, it's pretty simple. You, you make things, there's a necessary scarcity. Uh, GM can only put out so many cars and it costs a certain amount of resources to build each one. Uh, but, but bits are bits and, and they're infinitely replicable. So you know, Google doesn't have the same kind of physical limitations on how many searches it can do or what it can do with the information that, that goes into its system. Now, underneath that, there are physical networks. There's equipment. They have to buy routers and servers and they have to buy uh, telecommunications lines to connect them up, mm -hmm. uh, which is why I talk about that being the dividing line. But once you have that investment to build on top of it and to build new services and to scale them out, uh, is really limited only by the imagination. I see. So um, uh, you're also suggesting that the biggest challenge for communications law right now is to take the lessons that we've learned from some of these virtual ecosystems that live on top of this infrastructure um, and apply them to the infrastructure. Um, tell us how that works. Well, so, so my research really looks at the intersection between law, business, and policy around technology. Mm -hmm. And we have uh, 70 plus years of communications regulation in the United States that was designed for traditional networks, for the telephone system, for example, or broadcast television and radio. And increasingly, all of those are going online. They're all merging in with the internet. All those, those uh, silos of networks are converging. Mm -hmm. And we don't have a regulatory structure for that new converged broadband internet infrastructure. Uh, partly because justifiably the FCC and other parts of the government were hesitant to regulate those new services. Right. As they were growing, they didn't want to apply the old rules to the new technology, which, which I was involved with when I was in government uh, in the 1990s and fully support. But at some point, uh, you need to have a system that, that looks at uh, how to ensure networks are used in the public interest, how to ensure that, that markets don't go off the rails, which is what we saw with the financial sector, for example, and we've seen in the past with the telecom sector. Um, and that means you need to figure out the intersection of the legal structure with the new technology, with, with what the market looks like today. Right. And it seems that what you're suggesting is that the uh, default setting in addressing regulation of the infrastructure is open access. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and by open access, you mean? So open access means that uh, networks can interconnect freely. So what makes the internet the internet? People think the internet is a network. It's really not. The internet's a network of networks. So any system that speaks the language of standards that connects into the internet can be part of this ecosystem. And that's a principle that's allowed the internet to grow and foster so much innovation. If we have open interconnection, open access, so any broadband network system uh, can be plugged into. You can, you can attach new services, new devices, new applications to that network. Then there's a lot more potential for growth. So for example, we have a stimulus package now that's going to put $7 billion into rural broadband and, and broadband infrastructure to expand out uh, the system that we have in this country. If that only serves the companies that provide that network, the value is limited. But if it's an open access network, that allows other uh, companies, governmental institutions, citizen groups to come in and leverage that infrastructure, stick a wireless network on the end, uh, create a, a healthcare application in a rural community and so forth, and that magnifies the value of the network. Mm -hmm. And are there any regulations now that stand in the way of uh, those kinds of um, 
um, structures being added to the broadband network that comes into these rural areas? Well, that's, that's, that's the point of this, this research I've been doing. It's a total regulatory gray area because the rules we have apply to traditional telecommunications networks. The FCC in the past has said broadband access networks are not what are called regulated telecommunications services. There's something else called information services, right. which there are no rules for information services under the existing statutes. And so what I'm trying to do in my work is, is map out what those rules should be by reference to some of the enduring principles that are, that are in the Communications Act already. The Obama administration has um, received some degree of attention for its uh, um, consciousness of a lot of these services that you're talking about. Um, uh, President Obama was very worried about losing his BlackBerry, for example. Uh, do you think that that orientation is going to have a, uh, a big impact on the kinds of uh, policies that we see emerge from uh, the FCC and, and, and other related agencies? Oh, I think it's going to have a big impact across the government. Um, but, but think about uh, work today in any kind of organization. There, there are very few organizations today that, that don't use email, say, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that don't use the Internet as just a, a fundamental part of how they do business, how they manage their supply chain and so forth. Mm -hmm. um, so government's the same thing. And if you have people in government who are not familiar with those technologies that, that the average worker today and the average manager takes for granted, there, there's going to be a disconnect in their ability to develop policies that, that reflect even today's economy, let alone tomorrow's. Okay. Um, so I think the fact that there are so many people involved in this administration who really are technology savvy and, and, and who get it just at a personal level um, is important. The other thing is, is these technologies are incredibly powerful. Well, I, I remember uh, on the transition talking with someone who had been involved in the Clinton transition in 1992 and later was a senior official in the Commerce Department. And he said back then they had to walk around with disks. So when people would write memos or, or try and uh, group collaborate on an, uh, a policy recommendation, they would literally have to walk around with floppy disks across the office. And of course today we can do that all online. We had a, a collaboration system that we could use uh, for doing the work of the transition. And, and just for the transition process, which is a, a limited time, it's just 77 days, which has to do a tremendous amount, the ability to use that technology was very powerful. I see. Uh, and, and those powerful technologies you're talking about, right now a lot of attention is being paid to uh, handheld instruments mm -hmm. that really behave more like personal computers than, than, uh, than telephones. Um, and everybody seems to agree that's the big technology of the moment. It's very difficult to look far down the road for these things, but um, what are some of the other new technologies that you think that the FCC is going to have to address in, this com in the next four years, say? Mm -hmm. Um, so we're still just getting a taste of mobile. Um, we're now in a world with about three and a half billion people having mobile phones, which is more than double the number of people who have wireline phones. Mm -hmm. uh, and that transition is happening, and we're just starting on the smartphone revolution. So the iPhone is really symbolic of this transition you mentioned from phones to handheld computing devices. Mm -hmm. um, I, I talked to a friend yesterday who's saying he was at Samsung. Samsung's introducing 20 iPhone-like devices next year. 20 of them for just one company. So that revolution is going to be quite significant. Um, I think we're also going to see um, group collaboration mechanisms, uh, some of the things I, I talked about uh, becoming more powerful in the workplace, um, you know, as well as the ability to use uh, video much more, integrate that in, other kinds of media integrated into the process. Um, also just, just the ability to uh, take search technology um, which of course is very widespread on the internet and, and apply it much more, more directly into lots of other services. Okay. We've already seen uh, social media mm -hmm. 
uh, interfere or make its presence known, I should say, in the realm of the law, where, for instance, a trial in Philadelphia in which a, uh, a juror was sharing mm -hmm. observations via Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, uh, do you see that as, a, as something that's going to be happening more and more as uh, um, these, these, these social networking applications become more widely adopted, people sharing all kinds of information? Uh, is that going to be something that uh, is going to be looked at by regulators, do you think? Um, well, first of all, I certainly think that that's something that's going to be increasingly pervasive. And, and, and Twitter is you know, the current symbol of it, but it's really much broader than that. Mm -hmm. and, and it follows on from the point about mobile devices and smartphones. As you have people more and more densely connected on platforms that are interconnected, uh, and that are converged. And then you have much more intelligence both in the devices about where they are as well as intelligence in things in terms of connecting to the devices through wireless networks and so forth. Um, that leads to the, lots more potential for applications and services that leverage off of that connectivity. So Twitter is, is one early example, I think, right. of, of what happens when people can communicate all the time about what they're doing and that can be aggregated together. Um, from a regulatory standpoint, um, sure, there, there are a whole set of issues that uh, government is just starting to wrestle with. Privacy is one that's, that's extremely important but deeply misunderstood. Uh, it's not an either-or question of whether I'm public or private. We're going to be sharing things all the time, um, and people's preferences are going to be changing based on what circumstances they're in. Uh, we're in a world, and increasingly in a world, where everything is connected. So uh, regulators and government, as well as individuals, need to wrestle with what are appropriate limits in terms of sharing information. I see. Well, thank you very much for being with us today, um, and uh, uh, we look forward to your seminar tomorrow. My pleasure.